Today's conversation with Jed Tibby wasn't the conversation I'd expected going in. Not having met or spoken with Jed previously, I knew him only by reputation as someone who'd been a partner and investor at the heart of some of the most impactful businesses in Greater Manchester over the past decade. From Zerum to E3 Creative, and most recently with Gary Neville's Relentless Group. His career seemed to have moved, pardon the pun, at a relentless pace, and ahead of speaking, he very politely warned me that he wasn't exactly in line with my view that running a business in Greater Manchester was all hunky-dory, and actually, he had opinions on a few things that we need to work on and improve as an area to realise our full potential. So in short, I went in a little nervous, prepared for maybe a more challenging conversation, but as you'll hear, it really was nothing of a sort. Jed speaks with great humility despite the success he's seen through his career and he's also incredibly open talking about the toll his work ethic has taken on his mental health at times but despite these more challenging times it was really exciting to see how he's taking his experiences and his unique perspective and putting that into practice in the design and venture studio Camino that he launched earlier this year he's got a real desire to work with great people and help build purpose-led businesses going forward that make a real positive difference to the world I can't wait to see what he does next. Hi, and welcome to this week's Greater Manchester Business Stories, where I'm delighted to be joined by Jed Tivy, the founder of Camino. Uh, launched in 2021 and operating from central Manchester, Camino is a purpose-led design and venture studio, which already has one significant investment and project under its belt, which I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit about today. But Jed, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us on Greater Manchester Business Stories. No problem. Looking forward to it, Joe. Cheers. Cool. Well, look, we'd like to kick off by just asking each guest to tell us a little bit more about their background and their their links with Greater Manchester. So were you, were you born in the area? Um, how did you find yourself here? Yeah, uh, born and bred, yeah. I've uh, I've not travelled particularly much. I'm, uh, I've been here all my life. So I was I was born, uh, raised in Denton, um, in, in Tameside in East Manchester. Um and then went to college in Severian in Manchester, uh, University of Manchester Metropolitan. So, yeah, I've, I've always been in the Greater Manchester area, to be fair. So uh, my, my family's here, my friends here, my business is here. Everything that I've, um, I've, I've ever had is here, really. And there's no plans to change that at the moment. Cool. So you loved it so much, you didn't even move away to study. <laughs> I'd love, do you know what? I'd love to say that was the case. I'm probably a bit of a scaredy cat. I lived at home till I was 28. Oh, right. Cringe. Okay. <laughs> Cringe. Um, I, I've got two older brothers who both moved out. So I was quite young and left uh, with my mum. My, my dad had left when, when I was only young. Um, so I had my mum to myself who absolutely spoiled me rotten, looked after me from you know the day I was born till the day I left. Um, so I spent a long, long time there. I'd love to say, yeah, I traveled the world and saw all these other places and kept coming home to Greater Manchester. The reality is I'd, I'd never really been anywhere. Um, it just didn't occur to me to to leave home and um, like I say I had a situation at home where mum was on her own so I wanted to stay around around there and um, so no I never did the, the moving away to university thing don't particularly have any regrets about that and um, I did it for a reason my wife did she went away to Leeds and she sort of explained what it was like for her to be away from home and um, but yeah it was uh, I was probably one of the few students who came out without much debt really because um, I didn't have to to do what they had to do to get through study I think I saved some of my student loan and bought myself my first car stereo Lovely stuff. And, <laughs> and so, so studying in studying in Manchester. What what were you, what were you kind of passionate about? What was your subject of choice at that stage? Again, I wish I had a subject of choice. Um, I I wasn't sure. I've never been one of those people who knew exactly what he wanted to do. Um, I was what I would call a bit of a generalist at school. So it wasn't like I stood out in art or you know maths or anything. Um, I was quite 
without sounding gauche. I was quite okay at most things. So it didn't lead me to any particular direction. I, I never particularly enjoyed education. I didn't particularly enjoy, you know, I had a good social side of school and mates and everything else, but it was never somewhere I particularly enjoyed. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Probably an expectation from my parents that I would carry on into further education. Um, so I went to college didn't really know what to do. I think I took A-level maths, English and PE. Then I changed that to English, psychology and geography. I just literally tried everything. Again, for the same reasons, wasn't overly keen on education, wasn't going to go to university, but got to 18, didn't know what I wanted to do. I got to university. Um, so I looked at the subjects that gave me, I was always interested in technology, business, um, the way the world was moving, things like that. So I ended up doing a degree in economics, um, it, which, which turned into international economic studies. And I took that primarily because it had bits of everything, you know, kind of business science, marketing. It had all kinds of things, really. Um, and because I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, that seemed to make the most sense. Um, so it wasn't really uh, by design. It was more I ended up going through clearing, uh, having to pick a course. Um, and it was that or cooking. <laughs> um, the the economics seemed to open up a, a wider uh, you know array of avenues for me to follow so so I did that but a sad loss for the for the culinary world <laughs> <laughs> maybe not no I mean it's not got much better than I was at 18 so uh, no it's uh, I'm, I'm sure they've not missed anything there and economics I guess it, it it's one of those subjects that kind of hints at like you say that interest in kind of bigger things and you mentioned kind of how how the world's work how link, things lead together yeah you, you feel like you've always been kind of drawn to that the macro the kind of the bigger stuff yeah I think without realizing I think you know I've always I was always fascinated with like I say I've, I've always been a bit of a gadget freak and from from early age I've been a, a Vic 20 which I think the Commodore Vic 20 was actually my brother's I was always fascinated by the thing itself which obviously then became the Nintendos and the Master Systems but I loved the kind of finding out about the businesses behind it not at eight years of age I wasn't checking P&Ls but who are they where have they started how did they come up with Sonic the Hedgehog how, where did Mario come from what's the guy who owns Nintendo called um, I was always just kind of interested and then that kind of grew into like you say into the economic side of you know the way the world was moving we were all talking about globalization at the time I just found it really much more interesting than I'm going to do something that's actually directly in front of me and um, it was something that I could learn about and, and it probably has stayed with me um, you know, reading about trends, looking at the way the world's moving, and then that shapes some of my business decisions. Trying to, you know, make sure you're in the right place. Probably without consciously realizing that. Yeah, I think I think the big picture stuff was always something that that interested me. Um, and I got to be able to do that with. I must admit, there was kind of two sides of the economics. There was the business side that I really enjoyed, and then, as I'm sure some people out there that know, that there was the kind of real mathematics which just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, so that definitely wasn't my forte. That side. Yeah, I did. A level economics, and I think is it that term econometrics or whatever that was that, that, that put me off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it, that bit was was not fun, uh, but I yeah. did find some things out of there. Um, you know, and I, I look back on on, on university. Um, you know, I I did what a lot of people do. I came out with a with a two two. I wasn't the most studious of people, um, but I can look back and find the bits that it did give me. Um, and I can look now at, you know, what I would recommend to, to people moving forward. And I think I think getting in, um, if you're not sure what to do, I actually think getting in employment and then looking for, for educational support that way would be would be something I would look at. I think maybe looking back, maybe that's something that, that I should have looked at. Um, whereas I kind of thought, look, I don't know what job I want. I'll go into education. And actually, I think a bit of a blend of the two yeah. may have been more beneficial in my early years. And so, so, so talk us through the, the early stages of your career then. Um, yeah. What, what came after uni? And, and um, I 
Originally, um, a cousin of mine, uh, Dave, got me a job at a company called Data Monitor, which again, at the time, I didn't know a lot about it, but it kind of tied into the similar thing. It was a market research business. So um, we had to do a lot of research on on markets and companies um, and write reports. Um, so actually, it was something that I just took. It was you know, it was like nine grand a year or something like that. It was something that I took just to, to jump into something. And again, sometimes when you're there and you're young, you don't actually appreciate what it is you're doing. But looking back, the research element of it, looking at businesses, trends, uh, writing about it was actually really helpful. Um, but it was a it was a low-paid uh, temporary job. Um, I knew that I always loved my technology and my computers um, and I wanted to be in that space. Um, and I managed to get a job at IBM, um, which was, it was in, in sale. Um, and I thought, look, made it, you know, straight out of university. I'm, I'm in IBM here. And then they they gave me my headset and it was, you know, good morning, Jed speaking, how can I help? Um, <laughs> and that was not what I had in mind. But I'll be honest with you, again, I, I try and take positives out of uh, out of everything. Um, I, I, I didn't like talking on the phone. I did not enjoy, I could happily sit in front of anybody and, and have a conversation. But for some reason, I had a hang up about speaking to people on the phone. So suddenly to be stuck on a help desk with a, with a headset dealing with, you know, 50, 60 phone calls a day, um, it was a bit of a you know, a, a lesson in, the, in in itself. Um, so that was, it seemed to tick the boxes, big company, big opportunities. But then what I found was it was a huge company, lots of people. You'd spend 12 months there and you're going to get your, you know, your review and your 500 pound pay rise and stuff. And I, I, it just wasn't, I couldn't affect it enough. I was just a tiny part of this, uh, this thing. So I started looking elsewhere um, and I managed to get um, an opportunity with a, a building services consultancy called Miller Consulting um, through somebody I knew. Um, I was 23 at the time, I think. And he just said, look, what do you do? I'd explained what I'd done at, um, at university, what I was doing at IBM, and I wanted to get out, but I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, and this guy um, took a leap and said, look, you know, we, we'd love you to come into our business. We can, You can look at what we do. You can see if you can add anything. There wasn't even a role there, to be honest with you. Um, and he gave me an opportunity at a very early age to to get my skin, my, my teeth into, um, get under the skin, get my teeth into, should I say, a an SME turning over a you know a couple of million quid, um, and sat me alongside him. It was a guy called Phil Miller, who, whose business it was, um, and just took a leap on me. And and that SME, that that small twenty people, where you can literally affect what you know what's going on in front of you, was was unbelievable. And uh, I got given an opportunity that. I, I didn't know what it was. I took it, um, and I'll always be grateful. You know, Phil Phil's no longer with us, but um, he was somebody who took a took a leap on me, and it, it gave me an understanding of the difference between huge businesses and, and small businesses. And I knew from that day that I, I never particularly wanted to build, whether it be capable or not, it's a different story. Um, a huge business. Um, I much much preferred the the SME, the you know the small size really, and, and that's where I spent you know the next almost twenty years now really in, in that space. That's where I met. Um, a, a guy called Paul Devine, who who was one of the partners there. Um, I got close to Paul. What I was going to say, fortunately, bizarrely, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, one of his best friends was Gary Neville, um, who was, uh, you know, playing at United at the time. Um, and they left, well, Paul left to set up a business uh, backed by Gary. Um, and they asked me to go across with them and replicate kind of what I'd done in that business for a, for a new business. So that was 2005, my first startup, really, uh, which I absolutely loved because Miller's was, um, 
it was he was a great bloke and it had some good people there but it was also it had been running 20 years it had a lot of legacy a lot of stuff that needed fixing and um, to be given the opportunity to do what i do but with a completely new slate you know blank page of right we're going to build a business um, and again just just unbelievable opportunity really at that time um and then we set up King Associates, the business, in 2005. Um, and my career grew from there, really, um, in terms of, I mean, do you want me to take you right to where I am now, or is this looking back? <laughs> I, th- I think these are all uh, important steps on the, the journey towards Camino, so it's it, it, it's great. Okay, fine. Well, look, it's a bit, it's a bit... It's a bit cheesy, but you know there are those sliding door moments, and I can kind of pick the the ones along the way where things changed. I think um, starting King Associates with with Paul and Gary in two thousand and five, um, stayed with them till two thousand and ten. Yeah. Um, I had a real interest at that time in sustainability, um, and I spoke to Gary about potentially creating um, a sustainably focused business, and we created Zerum, which originally um, it was building it was building out uh, wind sites, renewable energy sites. Um, the market for that then it, it was based around the feeding tariffs at the time they, they launched the government launched the feeding tariffs to sort of incentivize people to develop these energy sites yeah. and so we headed off we signed up about 50 wind sites and we built a few of them out and then you know there was a budget review the government pulled the feeding tariff um, and that effectively you know put put pay to that business really but rather than sort of just fold it and close it down and um, we looked at what we could do with it because we we built a brand and we, we had a bit of an aspiration there that we didn't want to lose. Um, so we actually returned to King Associates, which was the business that we set up in 2005, and another business uh, called Red Developments, who were uh, project management and planning. And we integrated them into a new business that we put under the Zero and brand. Yeah. Um, and again, so almost another startup, really, more by amalgamation than, than, than brand new. Um we set that up in, in 2000, I think that was 2013, um, and that's still running today. Um, I then went into, um, I came out of Zerum in, I think it's about 2015. Gary, by that time, was doing all sorts. He, he retired in 2011. And he had, he'd already had businesses before he retired. And he had so many uh, things going on that he wanted to house it under one umbrella. So he created the Relentless brand, um, and I went into there with him. Um, to to help him with these projects that lasted four or five years what is it now about four or five years um so we've been together this stage about for about 15 years since 2005 gary and myself invested in a digital agency e3 creative in 2015 and we we sold that in 2019 the guy there uh, jake welsh unbelievable guy built that business we sold it in 2019 um and at that point um being honest you know i realized some some value um shortly thereafter probably had the definition of a nervous breakdown you know i just got my money in the bank thought this is it this is everything i've been working for was driving to the trafford center one monday morning chest pains pins and needles down my arms um i thought this doesn't feel right put my window down because i thought that'll sort it um and then literally just heart pounding out the chest i thought this this is a heart attack this is no doubt in my mind um, managed to indicate and pull over to the hard shoulder and then spend I managed to kind of crawl in the car to the Trafford Centre where I was near and walk around the car park for an hour I just couldn't get back in the car every time I went to get in the car it just set off again these symptoms um, and to cut a long story short I'm conscious of this being the longest first question yeah. ever you've ever asked <laughs> um, I I had no choice really but to take some time out um, because it was almost like the the realisation of, of the exit of E3 I'd got to a point where yeah I'd, I'd made some money 
and it allowed me to stop. But it's almost like sometimes that happens where I always seem to get ill at Christmas, you know, when you stop running. Yeah. And that seemed to happen on a on a big way. So I, I almost couldn't leave the house for six months. So to cut a long story short, you know, we can we can delve into it further or not. It's up to you. Um I took some time out and then at sort of 2020 decided um, that you know I want to I want to create my own thing, my own business, um, be able to work in the way that I want, deal with the people and uh, that I want to deal with, do things in my way. And that's why I, I started Watch, which was um, Sapien at the time, um, which has just become Camino. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but we, we were hit with a cease and desist order um, to add to the to the story. Um, so that's why I, I find myself in my own business now. But the, the journey that I'd been on through that time um, with Gary was all about creating businesses, creating brands, making them real, creating the actual brand identity, the tone, the tone of voice, the culture, helping them, the, you know, find the early teams in these things. And so without ever deciding that I was going into startups, that's where I found myself. Yeah. Um, and then with making some money, I was able to say, well, look, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, I'm going to create a business that involves the things that I do, how I do them, and also potentially where needed, uh, you know, investment funds to to support other people who, who were looking to do things themselves. Yeah. Well, look, no, th- th- thanks for taking the time to kind of talk us through that because I think it's 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 really interesting to get that kind of context of a varied kind of it sounds it sounds I mean you didn't kind of pause pause for breath as you were kind of explaining it and I can it kind of almost feels like the last 15, 20 years of your career are almost like that kind of you know full full yeah. throttle, you know, variety, different businesses, creation, like you say, it's it's all things that put a lot of demand and stress on you when you're at the the core of a of a ship like that. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I struggled, I, I overthink a lot and I I struggled for a long time to try and define myself. I always kind of envied people who could go, I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a builder, you know, that kind of and I was never really able to do it um, because it was so varied. And I can kind of look at it back, I look back at it now and I think in, in many ways the, the journey that I went through previous to the you know whether it was a nervous breakdown or whatever you want to call it I don't know what the scientific definition is but previous to that it was obviously one of the reasons that I got burnt out but then the nervous breakdown happening made me stop I had no choice you know literally if I if I stepped outside my house I started to faint Uh, you know if you put me in a a car no word of a lie I want to jump out of the car for whatever reason I just couldn't sit in there so I had to stop and then I've had to rebuild myself and now I can look back at that chunk, that 15, 20 years of my career, and look at the that what I've what I learned within that, the pressure, the pace, to a point, I know it sounds a little bit contradictory, the resilience, because I think I'd gone a lot further than than I thought I would at that stage in terms of containing the stress and managing it and everything else, having the break in the middle, and now being really protective of where I am now in terms of my own well-being to build a business that fits in with that. So not building something that's Again, capability is something different that's going to take over the world. For me, I want to build a business that's successful, but also shares what I've been through with the people that I'm backing and supporting. Hopefully, they never get there. Yeah. Um, but that can be about keeping them on the right track. And if they do get to that point where they're struggling, um, I've got a lot of kind of you know experience to share. So uh, for me, it's it's an important part of my makeup. Um, it's something that I you know I'd, I'd happily talk about to anybody in any detail in the hope that it might help, you know, one person or more. Um, so I can look back now. I, I, Camino is is a brand new beginning, um, and I'm definitely looking forward. I'm excited about the future. But at the same time, it's given me a real review point to look at 
what I've done, how I've done it, what was good, what was bad, where it's got me to, and then what I want to do moving forward. So yeah, it's been a, it's I've, I've been really lucky. Opportunities played an immense part in my life. Um, at the same time, you have to grasp that, and I feel that I have. Um, but now is the time where I definitely come 41. You know, you become far more aware of your own mortality and health and everything else. Um, I had to look at, at one point, I thought I'll never be able to go back to work. I'll be, I don't mean any disrespect to it, but I'm going to have to learn to be a gardener or something, something that, you know, I can do and steady in my own time. Um, I didn't know if I could sit in a meeting. I didn't know if I could sit on a conference call. I didn't know if I could present something. Um but I've got to the stage where, yeah, you know, I'm in a good place now and the lessons that I've learned, the scars that I've got, I'm, I'm hoping can help me, help my staff. You know, I'm really protective of them um, from that side of things and and any any other businesses that I support either as a consultant or through investment. You know, it's a, it's an important lesson to share for anybody, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and I appreciate you speaking so openly about it because I think it it is important stuff and I think it, I think a lot of people would, read your story from the outside and as you say the exit of a business that realized a bit of value and think that's the positive that's the kind of off into the sunset type moment and and and, and it's not probably it, it sounds like you had some kind of like you say some kind of reaction to just the the intense pressure that yeah. you're putting yourself under to, to get to that point and so it's not it's not been without its sacrifices what what no. what helped you kind of get control of that were there was it was a mindfulness just time was it family and when it first rose its head it was actually about 2013 so it probably looking back now it was probably brewing um i probably had the first whatever again i don't know breakdown whatever you want to call it and i can remember now i can see i can see um i was sat in the office serum's first office in the lexicon in manchester and i, I couldn't when i say i couldn't talk you know when you're about to get upset and you can't get your words out yeah and i remember um Gary just saying to me, what's to do with you? What's to do with you? And I was kind of like, I just have had enough. And then I just remember breaking down and and Gary being Gary got me in a headlock and give me the knuckle rub and you're going to be all right kind of thing. Um, and I just thought, no, something's wrong. And and Gary amazingly, um, he said, I'm going to take you to see a guy. Um, and I just read, um, I'm trying to think when this was timing wise, but I just read The Chin Paradox by yeah. Steve Peters, which I'm sure lots of people have read. And Gary said, I'm going to take you to see this guy um, who's, you know, he's been brilliant. And um, I think he's worked with England and stuff like that. And I said, we're in the car. And I said, who is it? He said, it's Steve Peters. I said, well, Steve Peters? He said, yeah. Um, and he, he he took me to see Steve Peters. Um, and that was unbelievable. That was, um, you know, probably changed my life in an hour, really. And I think the biggest way he did that, when I told him sort of where I was and how upset I'd got, he said, Jed, it's perfectly normal. And it was like, what? How, how can this be normal? And he said, you've got this on your plate, you've got this on your plate, you've got this on your plate, you've got this on your plate. And he, he said at the time, he said, you're dysfunctional. Um, and I thought, wow, what does that mean? And so it means you're still getting where you need to go, but the, the machine's broken, you're, you know, it's, it's not working as it should. And you've got all this stuff and you haven't learned to process it. You haven't learned to handle it. Yeah. And that in itself, it's such a small statement. But when I realized that I'd almost taken myself there by the way I described kind of my stress and anxiety, I'm certainly not a no mental health expert, um, you know, and, and everyone has their own ways and their own issues and their, their own conditions. So I would certainly never put a label on something across the board. But when I looked at it, when he said to me, Jed, it's perfectly normal. 
you haven't got the tools to handle it. In my head, I got this picture of somebody. I'm not well-traveled, me, at all. Um, I'm almost kind of idiot abroad in that sense. Um, if you drop me in the middle of Tokyo on my own, I wouldn't know where to go, how to get a taxi, yeah. how to speak to someone, how to get home. Yeah. That was where I was. All these things were happening in my days. But if I'd have dealt with them differently, if I could have stepped back and 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 looked at them more objectively and processed them more, which does take some learning, does take some developing, um, I probably wouldn't have got to where I'd got. So chimp management was absolutely the first thing. It, it was unbelievable. Um, my wife, obviously, just out of this world, you know, stood by me every second of the day um, and, and her and the kids gave me the purpose to, to rebuild. Um, I think without them, it might have been a different story. You know, I had, I, for me, it was almost I had to get right for them rather than for myself. Um, and then the third thing, um, I got introduced to a yoga teacher, Charlene, who was, um, Charlene McCauley, who was unbelievable. She was unbelievable at yoga, but, and I was doing that to try and relax and, and chill out. And, and I also get really bad neck and, and back tension. Um, but I said to her one day, we went in and she, she doesn't do like a, a standard class where you go in, I'm going to do X today. She says, how are you today? What do you want to do today? And this one day I said, do you mind if I just talk to you? And, but, you know, I, I didn't know how that would be received. And she said, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she put the cushion down on the floor and, and we sat opposite each other. And I started speaking to Charlene and she was um, she she was training to in some therapy herself to become a, a therapist, gestalt therapy is called. And just her listening to me and helping and showing me again that there's a different way of seeing things. I, I, I thought, this is me, I'm Jed. This is what I do, this is how I deal with things. If you don't like it, lump it. But I realized that I could react in a different way and I could process things in a different way and I could see things in a different way. So I think for me, I think awareness of obviously you're heading down a road. I think you need to know that there's a problem. And I found out when it hit me probably too late in some ways. And then really different schools of thought, lots of reading, you know, chimp management and yoga are entirely different. You know, they're, they're two completely different schools. But each of them had the benefit. Um, I tried everything. I tried uh, reflexology, uh, gestalt therapy, chimp management. I tried all sorts because as far as I was aware, nobody was telling me it was permanent and I had a chance to to climb my way out of it. So yeah. um, for me, family support, chimp management therapy and yoga combined with a different form of therapy, um, I would say it's changed me as a person entirely. It's a wake up call. It's a reminder for lots of people potentially who are kind of listening into to content like this and and looking to go on their own journeys, already on their own journeys, with things to have a look out for it. Um, yeah, and those and those kind of warning signs and um, yeah, how to approach it. Um, <laughs> you know, question two. You know, well, no, it, you know, you, you talk about all of that, and I'm like, right. So now you've decided to launch a, another big venture with some pretty bold ambitions. So t- tell us a little bit about, in, in terms of Camino, I, I think the starting point is just explaining a little bit about a design and venture studio and kind of what that means for you and and, and what what you want to do with that vehicle. I suppose it's a combination of everything I've done before and everything that I've wanted to do. So I'm a, I'm I'm really passionate about design creative. I love it. I'm creative. I'm not going to say I'm a creative in terms of you know I'm not a, I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not a, you know anything like that. Right. But I love it. Um, I love with what we've done uh, back in the day with you know being a lot you know alongside Gary and Paul at King Associates and then Hotel Football and Relentless. All these things were about positioning and new brands and everything else. Um, and I love that creative side. And I've always wanted 
I suppose, my own design studio. Um, and that was one of the reasons we invested in E3, uh, because rather than start my own, um, it was a case of, look, let's invest in one and, and, and help build. Testament to Jake, he built that so quickly, so fast and so well yeah. that actually couldn't really service um, our own businesses because, you know, we were turning up saying, oh, can you do this little bit of work for a grand? And they were working for Sony PlayStation. Yeah. So um, so there was always my own want to have my own creative studio, I suppose. Um, I do, when I talk about design, I, I've termed it kind of business design, which, which isn't something I've invented. It's out there on the internet. But I suppose what I've done across the, the, the years is we have designed businesses across the board. So that's everything from the brand to the business model to the strategy, the go-to-market strategy, the operation, the growth, the exit. So I try and embed design and, and design. And I, I cringe a little bit at terms that are out there at the moment, but that kind of design thinking idea um, of a truly holistic design business. So not just marketing-led, not just product-led, not just you know business model-led, but the, the whole thing, making sure it all works. Um so that was something that I wanted to do. And I could certainly, I think, done that as a business, set myself up, and that would have been it. However, seeing what people investing in me has done um, and the opportunities it's given me, and because I'd exited E3 and, and had the ability to either, one, put some money in myself to things, or two, because of my network and ability to raise money, I wanted to combine the two. Mm-hmm. So I didn't particularly want to be um, a fully serviced focused business where as much I love helping people it could be you know somebody crossing the road kind of thing I I love helping people from top to bottom but it wasn't just about helping other people which that's where if I just went on the service side would have left me and the investment side does help people obviously it helps them get to where hopefully you know along and, and past where I've been but also it creates a portfolio for myself and, um, you know, I've lived a, a decent life. I, nice, I like the nice things. I don't have a pension. I, you know, I, I'm, 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 my, my pension is the portfolio that I'm aiming to build, hopefully. So it was a case of combining the two, really. Um, there's a number of different sort of people out there, companies out there. You've got your venture capitalists, you've got your angels, you know, you've got incubators, all these different things. But for me, I think that, again, that very small early stage um, startup they can come to me, have my own team. You know, I've got designers in-house. And um, to be able to say to someone, I love what you do. I think it's amazing. I think your brand needs to be stronger. We can help you with that. Or you're looking for investment. We can help you with that. Jed, our brand's amazing. We've got investment. We don't need that. But look at our business model. We can help you with that. Going back to what I said before, the demon I have about being a generalist, um, it's something that I need to get out of my head that because I've actually done a lot and seen a lot. But because I'm not saying we're a marketing agency, we're a venture capital, uh, you know, house. People are a bit unsure about it. And that's why somebody asked me the other day, I went into a business and he said, look, what can you do for my business? And I said, I've absolutely no idea. And that was me being honest because I don't have a template approach where I go in and say, we'll do this. Yeah. And I guess you're, 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 in, a, you're in a kind of ecosystem where the VCs or, or early stage investors or incubators, they, they have a particular, they've got a checklist. They've got a particular yes. kind of profile of business that, that fits their needs. It sounds like you're a bit more driven by the kind of the purpose side of how you explain oh. the business. So it's more the the journey yeah. that that company is looking to go on and, and the role you. A hundred percent. I I'm not. Look, I'm completely agnostic in that sense. You know, I'm also very honest. If somebody came to me and said, "I've got this business that's looking to do this," and I think 
I have not got a clue. You know what I mean? I would tell those people. Um, but yeah, for me, I don't have, a, you know, I've spoken to a lot of them and it's kind of, look, we're going to invest in 10 this year and hopefully two of them will come off. I don't get that. I I do get it when you've raised hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, going back to 2005 when we set that business up, we were literally running to the bank on a Friday with a cheque to get it in to clear to pay the wages. So I'm aspirational. I'm, you know, I'm excited about everything that, that's to come. But at the bottom of it, I actually have a really, really big kind of really, really risk aware and risk averse. Not so much that I won't invest in businesses and put my own money and I've done that and I'm doing that now. But I I don't get carried away with some of the noise that exists in the world. I'm not trying to build a unicorn. I'm not trying to be the next Google, the next. What I'd love to do is build a portfolio of businesses that I enjoy, that the people in them enjoy, that makes me money, that makes them money. And everyone's left standing and can have a pint and a laugh after it rather than keeling over, you know, which, which you know, what I went through. I mean, this is still quite a new venture, isn't it? I think you officially launched in, in the summer, but you've already got one one kind of really exciting project in, in the portfolio already. So talk us through um, Rezzle, am I pronouncing that? Yeah, Rezzle. So it's a, um, they'll probably kill me for this if I don't get it right, but it's a sports virtual reality platform is, is how I term it to people. Um, it's it's a lot deeper than that in terms of um, what it actually does and, it, and it's growing every day. So I got introduced um, to, to Rezzle, went and met them um, and they, they I've done lots of VR, I've, I've done quite a lot, a lot of property marketing and been involved in property across the years. So VR is nothing new to me. I'm, I'm, I love my tech, so I try it you know when the first oculus headset come out and yeah. try it so it wasn't a novelty thing which i think a lot of vr was um, i've seen a lot of stuff where i've thought okay because i can see the building it doesn't really impress me and um, i got asked to go and see this this as it was termed this virtual reality football I thought, okay here we go walked in and met the lads great lads straight away you could see really down to earth the guys there and they strapped me in this headset which i expected but then they put these shoes on me with um, you know, sensors. Okay. And before I know it, I'm I'm kicking a football in virtual reality. I mean, you know, I'm scoring goals, I'm 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 passing to people, I'm heading things. It was unbelievable. Um and I said, it was one of the very few things you talk about those uh, sliding doors moments, like I said before, where sometimes people come to you and say, You've got this idea, and you think, mm, I'm not really sure. I got that off and I was like, Do you need investment? Do you need this is unbelievable? Yeah. Yeah, um, and they they've launched. So they have two sides. They they have a pro side, a sports side, and a consumer side. So the consumer the, the, the consumer side launched this summer, which is on Oculus Quest. Um, you know you can you can download that if you if you've got the Oculus Quest from the store. Um, and they have a pro side where athletes are actually using it for training and rehabilitation. Um, so this gives you the ability to effectively kick a ball, head a ball, without there being a ball there. Yeah. And so, but what that does is it keeps you engaged cognitively. So if you're injured, you know, you're, you're a player, you're at home, you can't train. Uh, what you can do is you can kick a ball, you can do your scanning, you can do your passing, you can do all this stuff and keep your brain engaged. And what they're finding is that whilst they're out injured, um, this kind of cognitive kind of using that, you know, keeping up your cognitive engagement um, is maintaining more kind of fitness levels. I don't mean physical fitness, but that match, that match level fitness. Um and it was it was an unbelievable thing. Um, and so I said, look, I wanted to invest in them. Um, and they, they were open to that. They were also looking to raise a fund at the time themselves or raise investment. And I said, well, look, I'll invest my own money, but I'll, I'll raise the money for you. Um, so what I like, again, coming back to kind of describing a business in its simplest form, um, I looked at Rezzle. 
looked at what they had, which was kind of, you know, huge decks like this. I chopped that down, really simplified it, got the designer on it, looks really cool, got it out to, to my network. Um, and I raised a funding round for them, which closed uh, just towards the end of last year before we went public with with Camino. Um, and it's absolutely flying. Um, you know, it's it's doing so well. More and more sports stars are using it. More and more uh, clubs are using it, um, and they've only just begun. There's a there's a football drill on there. There's a basketball drill. There's an American football drill, um, and then lo and behold, you know, as we mentioned earlier on, you know, you sat there watching Facebook connect, and and next thing, Mark Zuckerberg saying, and there's a there's a, a player twenty two by Resol being used by pro athletes, which I almost fell off my chair to be honest with you. Mm. Um, I think the thing that got me about that was, you know, I've invested. You know, you have shares in things, but I'm talking, you know stock market stuff you don't really feel connected i think for mark zuckerberg to talk about a business you've invested in which was you know five lads in a, in a little office down the road was just unbelievable it was absolutely unbelievable so in terms of what that means at the moment i, I don't know um, but it, obviously it helps um, and what i loved is when they do the drills um, what we find is I, I still support Gary on Salford City and stuff like that. And we've spoken to other football clubs. And there is a tendency, as you'd expect, that the older coaches, the older players, the older managers, they're not that receptive always to the idea of a virtual reality. It's not a replacement. It's just a supplement. It's just something yeah. else, yeah. you know, an overlay of what you're doing. But obviously, like the, the kids, the coaches, the academies, they're far more receptive to stuff like that. Um, and you basically go through this set of drills on Resil. And at the end of it, it, it prints out a sheet and it tells you your reaction time what you did we left foot what you did we right for all this amazing information and i remember saying to adam at resil you know, what's your goal what you know is it an exit is it being spoken about by mark zuckerberg on, on facebook connect and he said what i'd love to do more than anything is to find a kid that had fell out of the system you know it's been he's not got through the scouting trial he's not got through the trial at united or city or anywhere else for whatever reason he's got a bad day problems at home he's nervous but yeah. he's gone through the resil index and we found these unbelievable stats this kid to start and getting back into football. Yeah. When I heard that, that was like, wow. Yeah. You know, so yeah. look whether it'll ever happen, but as an ambition. So for me, businesses have to mean something. And and finishing up on Camino, kind of where do you what do you what do you see that business looking like? And I guess is there a call out to are there particular kind of businesses? Anyone who listens in on this, is there anyone in particular you want to hear from when you're looking at the balance of what you do within that within that space? I, I think from my side, I don't see Camino itself ever being huge. I think it's ultimately, it's the hub. It's the it's the management team, the creative team, the investment team. Um, I don't see that being huge. I actually see the portfolio businesses being the things that grow. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I'd like to see, I, I definitely like a, you know, a healthy portfolio. I would never put a number on it and say 20 businesses, 10 businesses, five businesses. Um, but I definitely like to think that there are some new startups in there either with people coming to me or me as I say I've got my own ideas so we will start our own businesses as well mm. um I'm massively passionate about sustainability um you know anything that's in that space um anything that's about doing things better wellness sustainability you know that kind of thing um you know anybody who's in the circular economy recycling waste um electric cars I've had an electric car myself that it's been brilliant but it's also been a nightmare at the same time and i think there's definitely stuff to do in that space to make the experience better um and the same with wellness i think from anything that um having been through what i've been through mentally physically still a working project you know i, I need to i need to sort that out um anything that's about making things better for people and society um as i said you know would i invest in a dating app no 
you could argue that you know it's better for some people but it's not deep enough for me it's it's really meaningful stuff around wellness sustainability and also experience of walking around the city things that things that fix traffic things yeah. that things that make a difference i suppose and that honestly it's not driven by some kind of oh i want to sound like i'm you know mr do-gooder i get really frustrated by the way things work and I get really frustrated when I think things can be better than they are. Yeah. And I like things that I like things that that improve things. Um, it's not that I'm driven by some kind of you know overarching vision of of something. It's just let's make things better than they are. I think we, we're living in, in weird times, and there's some people out there I think who can make a massive difference. Um, and you know, businesses with that kind of ethos, whatever space they may be in, um, and people who are looking for help, they think they've got a great idea and they're not sure where to turn. You know, I'm here. And then, I guess to start to close, bringing it back to bringing it back to Greater Manchester, and you're, you're kind of born and bred, as you you said earlier in the area. So you've decided to set Camino up in Greater Manchester. You know, on, on that point, where do you think we're at in Greater Manchester? When you're looking, when you're looking at the business, when you're looking at the city, you know, I, I think um because we talked ahead of having this conversation you know i come into it with a very kind of oh the glass is half full you know there's lots of there's lots of reasons to be positive the city's on the up and and it feels like the businesses that you've been at the heart of have been quite a big part of that to be honest kind of helping shape the the profile of the city center over the last kind of 10-15 years but is there anything you think we still need to be conscious of and keeping an eye on to to ensure that we do have that kind of rosy future for great manchester that, that we all think we're headed out towards yeah, look, there are some massive positives about about Greater Manchester and Manchester. Um, I think for me, you know, I don't know if these things exist. I, what I tire of is the same old people um, sort of on the same old forums talking about Manchester, promoting, you know, it's amazing, it's this, it's that, it's the other. You know, anyone who's been to Manchester Airport, um, you know, it's a disaster. It's horrendous, you know, the traffic into Manchester um, and even the kind of stuff with COVID lately where, or, you know, in the past couple of years where when it's about getting people back in the city, it's always the leaders, it's the business leaders who are out there saying, this is what we should be doing. And, and there's so many people, I think, further down the food chain who aren't business owners, they're, they're employees, you know, they're, they're, they're students who've got so many great ideas. I just feel like I wish I could make a, if I had a magic wand, I wish I could make a cohesive plan for the development of Manchester over the next 10 and 20 years. As I said before, you know, about the traffic and stuff, I don't think there is a quick fix. But for me, politics, it's not about Johnson or red or blue. You know, the world has moved on. There's so many people out there that there's so many amazing people in Manchester and amazing businesses who never see the light of day because they can't afford a PR agency or they're not the same old faces who get wheeled out at events or award ceremonies. And I'd love to get together with these people and and not just a talking shop, but come up with things that do improve. You know, like I say, it's about implementation sometimes. That cycle lane down Chester Road, there's no one in it. And the cars are queuing up. How does that happen? Where's the conversation? Who, who decides, you know, look, we've tried it. It's not quite worked. Hold your hands up. So for me, I don't know how you do it, but I always feel that the future of Manchester is discussed in the same, it's discussed by the same 10 or 20 people at the same kind of events and, and stuff. And for me, there are other voices out there. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, if I, if I did have a magic wand, I would love Camino to build businesses in Manchester that help shape Manchester. For, for a better future. I know it sounds a bit grand, that, um, you know, but Manchester's great, but it could be a hell of a lot better. And I feel like we're living within ourselves. I think to 
to draw the positive out of that, it's there are some amazing people. There are some amazing businesses in Greater Manchester. And it's just amazing. It's more of it, and it's better executing it and coordinating it all by the sounds of things. That's kind of the call to action. Yeah, definitely. I think it's that shift to more of the smaller guys who are doing amazing things coming together than it just being the same big guys who are talking about it. There's so many, there's so many people out there with stuff to give. I just don't think get the light of day. And I think if there's a way of uh, bringing it down to that level and, and getting more of the people together as opposed to the same old, the same old, old Manchester Mafia, as I call it, yeah. um, I think this, it can be an amazing city. It's brilliant. Look, I love it. I just actually get frustrated by how much better I think it can be. I would love to play a part in doing that, however that may be. Wicked. I, I feel like you are already, mate, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and we'd like to give a little shout-out, a little opportunity towards the end, just to give a shout-out to kind of two or three of your favourite local businesses, regardless regardless of sector. Any Anyone that puts a smile on your oh, face or that, that you like to keep um, an eye on what they're up to? Well, look... I've got to say, Rezzle, they would fall yeah. out me if I didn't. Um, you should definitely, if you're into your VR and you've got your Oculus, heads, Oculus headset, you should definitely download that. Um, I think, speaking a bit wide, I'm very city centre focused after, but I think Aldringham Market is is an unbelievable place. Um, you know, I, I live nearby. Um, what it's done, it's prime example of changing an area. Um, I think anything that those guys do is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, I think that's, I don't know, there's too many to mention. There's, as I probably already said, I'm all your Schofields, your Tattoos, your Mancocos, anyone who's trying their best to be the best, I think fair play to them. Love it. And then we say, the, the last question is kind of stealing, magically stealing, made, well, you, you mentioned waving a magic wand earlier, coming up with your grand 10, 20 year plan for the great, great <laughs> Manchester. Is there anything that you would steal? Is there anything that we're lacking that you kind of see going on in other cities when you're traveling with business or working with know, colleagues that you, you'd steal with pride? Again, there's there's a couple of places. I'm not particularly well-travelled. I once had to go uh, through work to Germany, which forever, for whatever reason, I just never wanted to go. I think it was the old war movies, just it sounds ridiculous. I kind of had this vision of kind of this dark Berlin. Um, I went to Germany and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought, I, I remember thinking, how clean is this? How organised the things? I remember, I'm not a smoker, but I remember going to the cigarette machine, or walking past the cigarette machine, I, I don't smoke. And you had to put your ID in to prove you were 16 to buy cigarettes. I was thinking, that never happened in England. This was years ago. Yes. But the, the consideration, and the only other place I've been on a similar thing was um, I went to Singapore and I just thought it was an amazing city. I think the the cleanliness, again, the organisation, the the commitment to standards, yeah. uh, you know, there's, you, I think you literally kind of, you know, if you throw chewing gum on the floor over there, you've got a problem. <laughs> um, it was absolutely amazing. I just think how forward thinking they were was it blew my mind and I'd love to see Manchester you know we've got you know the canals I remember the, the the waterfront in Singapore you, know, you look at our canals and stuff like that we love them but we also know there's a shopping trolley floating in them and a football somewhere let's use what we've got and and make the absolute best of it I think I think that's what I would do I would look at the the most stellar stuff out there and let's do it cool I love it grand ambition I'm really conscious of taking quite a lot of your time Jed but I really appreciate you speaking so openly we touched on quite a lot of topics there from career to you know looking after yourself but also I guess most excitingly the things that you're up to at Camino and I'm really excited to see what more goes on at Camino over the next kind of five ten years and the role you play in in the future growth of Greater Manchester um with, with, I guess just to close where would people go where's the best place to go just to keep up to date with projects you're involved in and Camino in general um, 
I think look, we've got um, we've got obviously Twitter and then Instagram. I think it's by underscore Camino, um, and our website is there, which is Camino.co.uk. But we're just in the process of building that at the moment. So our socials are going to going to increase in, in content over the next within the coming months, and the website's due to go live, I think January. So for now, look at our social handles, and, and, and by all means, you know, if you want to give us a shout, and um, you know, please do. Thank you so much for your time, Jed. Thank you. Cheers, Joe. Greater Manchester Business Stories is produced and presented by Joe Taylor of Real Handful. The special guest was Jed Tivy of Camino. You can find out more about Real Handful by visiting realhandful.com and you can see more from Camino at camino.co.uk. Audio production was by me, Andy Blackaby-Isles.